Hello. This is from James 1:27. The religion that God the Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Let's pray. Oh, Father, um, even in this beautiful place, we, uh, we see the pollution that's all around us. So we, um, we hang on to you as our only hope. We thank you that you're here with us, that you love us, that you'll move heaven and earth to touch our hearts and our lives and uh, help us to cooperate with that. Speak through Jim today. Help us to have ears that will hear. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thanks, Alicia. Okay, so we're uh, going to start with a question today because I want to talk about justice. Uh, it has, I don't know, been impressed on me after many, many years of talking to people, watching the press, that we don't really understand what justice is, at least from a, a Christian perspective. So is justice about punishment, vengeance, retribution? What's it about? Redemption? What is justice actually about? You know, one of the things that we cannot do, we cannot legislate morality. It cannot be done. Because morality, by definition, is a product of the heart. All we can do is legislate behaviors. And so one of the questions that we ask regularly, uh, especially in the classroom, is where does morality come from? It comes from Christianity. And I'm prepared to defend that. I'm just not going to here. This isn't the place. Uh, but Christianity is the source of morality. Okay? So when we talk about justice, justice for us should be very different than what it is for the world. We're going to talk about that. We're in a theme this summer where we're talking about goodness. What makes the church just good and healthy? What makes it that way? And we've been looking at a variety of different nuances each Sunday that make up this concept of goodness. Um, I'm reading a book by Scott McKnight. I'm going to quote him in just a little bit. Called a church called Tov. Tov is the Hebrew word for goodness. And it's, it's uh, mentioned over 700 times in the... Uh, Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. So at some level, it's got to be important for it to be mentioned that many times. God talks about it all the time, okay? And so one of the aspects that makes a church good, that you could describe a church as filled with goodness, is when they have a good understanding of justice and what that actually means. So we're going to take a short glimpse into what justice actually is. Most Christians actually think of just, justice either in terms of, of vengeance or punishment, if you will. We want to cry out like the psalmist, don't we? God, shatter the jaws of my enemies. I mean, don't you feel that way? Let me see. Let's be honest. Yeah, I do. All right? Isn't that how we feel? Well, it gives you a glimpse of what the thinking was like, okay, in the ancient world. One of the things we learn in seminary is not to be anachronistic, not to take our values from today and evaluate them back, put them back into the Old Testament and evaluate them according to our values. 
Instead, what we do is we take an Old Testament teaching and we look at the context in which it occurs so that we understand it, and then we can see God's grace as he moves us away from that. So when Jesus talks about, you know, uh, the system back then was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, of course we're going to cry out that way. But when Jesus comes on the scene through the new covenant, he begins to change the way we think about things. He begins to say startling things that they hadn't even conceived of, right? Uh, love your enemies. Really? Love your enemies. Love them. Do good to those who hate you. Do good to those. If they take your cloak, give them two. If they slap you, turn the right cheek. You know what that means? Picture this. I'm a slave, and there's a master, and they're right-handed. And so he slaps me on the left cheek, and then the most degrading thing he can do is backhand me on the right cheek. So when Jesus says, turn the right cheek, Paul says, why not rather be wronged? The scriptures are full. The New Testament, this new covenant is full of this language of what, of trying to get us to begin to think differently. Why? Why is that? Because what is our core mission? To love one another and to share Christ with a world that's lost, confused, dark, doesn't make sense. And guess what? Justice is part of this key thinking. We get capture a glimpse of this, where we're headed and what God is not pleased with in Isaiah chapter 1. This is just before the southern kingdom fell. He gave them 400 years of patience, 400 years of prophets trying to get their attention. And here's what he says in the opening words of Isaiah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? Now think about that. He's the one that gave us Leviticus on how to do a sacrifice. Your multitude of sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Well, then why did he even suggest it? because he's speaking to them in a language they could understand. It's what they did with it that's the problem. He goes on. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? You see, one of the things the law did was it put in place a judicial system that was designed to be fair and You stop, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. New moon feasts, your appointed festivals, I hate with all of my being. This is God talking. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Remember what he said to Jeremiah? Don't pray anymore or I'll take your life. I've made my decision about this people, so don't pray anymore or you will pay the price. 
So that's what he does when these people spread out their hands in prayer. I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Now here's the verse that prepares us for the coming of Jesus. The new covenant, the spirit to indwell us where God desires. You see, the problem wasn't the sacrifices. The problem was the heart. That was the problem. Listen and learn to do right. This is the basic definition of justice. We're going to see in just a minute. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case or the cause of the widow. So what is justice? You know, there's a, there's a Greek collection of words that capture this vast idea. Uh, these words are all pretty much the same. Some of you may have heard them, the kaiosune, the kaios, things like that. They all come from the same Greek word. But they translate into a constellation of principles that are important to us. One of them is justification. Justification. Most of you learned we love teaching in sound bites. Sadly, sound bites means that you miss the truth of everything else. Justification, just as if I'd never sinned. No, that's not really what it means at all. Okay? Justification is far bigger and richer than that. This word group also translates into righteousness. It translates into justice. Just. And you know what it really means? It starts with the idea of doing what is right. All those word groups, even, even justification because of who God is and he's committed to his own principles, what is, it, what is doing what's right for God? What's doing what's right is when you turn to him in faith, then he overlooks your sin and forgives you. That's, what's doing, that's doing what's right on God's terms, on his idea. And so you are declared righteous. You're declared holy, Hebrews 10.10, for by the will of God, you've been declared holy once for all time based on the work of Christ. That's God doing what's right. Okay? That's doing what's right. The problem is we don't feel that way. And that's where the rest of life comes in. You see, the rest of life is beginning to untangle the mess that we find ourselves in. And we begin to get transformed into his image. And you know how he uses, how he does that? He does it through our sin. He really does. Through our stupidity. Through our doing the wrong things. If, if, if we repent and have the right attitude. If not, the heart grows colder. You see, you only have two options in life. You can move to be conformed to the image of Christ. Or you could be, move away. You could become more human or less human. There's nothing in between. You can move toward actually learning what it means to genuinely love other people, or you can learn 
how to be a people pleaser and look good on the outside. And so if the heart is right, then this movement, this movement to God is fascinating as he begins to conform us, conform you, conform me to the image of, of Christ. The problem is, is that we don't see ourselves clearly. Jesus spoke about this, well, he spoke many times. I'm only going to read one of those. Luke 6. He says, do not judge, and you will not be judged. He's got a crowd. Think about what he said. Do not judge, and you, you will not be judged. Do not condemn. Guess what? You then will not be condemned. You will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. You see, this is at the heart of justice, is forgiveness. It's not the end of it, but this is a piece of it that we find missing in the way the world looks at justice. It's forgiveness. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together. It's overflowing. That's what you're going to get, that kind of grace. It'll be poured into your very lap. For with the measure you use, this is worth paying attention to, for the measure that you use, and he just said don't judge, so we're talking about how you judge others, this is the way you'll be measured. This is the way you'll be measured. Whatever standard you decide to use to bring about judgment, that's the standard that's going to be applied to you. I'm astounded in a lifetime of four decades of serving Christ how many people I've had thousands and thousands and thousands display a real simple but broken idea. They get so mad at what you've done to them without actually seeing that they're guilty of sin too with their anger. Happens to me. People get angry with me. They come up and they criticize and they get angry because of maybe the way I treated them, maybe something I said. But they have no concept that what they're doing right at that moment, right at that moment, is wrong. I would understand it if to follow the pattern of what I see in Scripture of righteous anger, if somebody comes to me and said, I am so angry at what happened to so-and-so. See, that's what, that's what Jesus expresses, a kind of anger on behalf of someone else, not himself. Sinful anger is when you're sinning against, I mean, you're getting angry because you didn't like something. You didn't get your own way. Well, he goes on in this passage, and here's what he says. He told them this parable, can the blind lead the blind? So maybe, maybe you're easily angered. Can you lead people in anger? Can the blind lead the blind? Will they both not fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, is he? But everyone who is fully trained will be like the teacher. Who's the teacher? Jesus. He becomes our standard. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Why do you do that? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that 
speck, that little tiny piece of sawdust out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the massive plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. There it is. It's one of the uses of this word, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, out of your eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. One of the things I have practiced for decades now <clears throat> is to ask myself this question because of this passage. Why, do I'm, why am I feeling frustrated with this person right now? I shouldn't. I shouldn't. Okay, so maybe they're hurting me. Why does that make me frustrated? I know it's because I'm fallen, but I'm really curious about the inner workings of my own soul. That's why I went to counseling 10 years to understand some of this. Because I know it's not right. It feels strong, but it's not right. We worked with a guy when we were 30 years ago in Germany, a young soldier, he was getting discharged out of the army because he's always fighting, always. <clears throat> He'd be standing on the street corner in Germany at a bus stop and look over and see, and Germans are very curious, see him doing that and just turn around and punch him, okay? He didn't understand that that anger feels really good, but it's really, really poor because every time you get angry, you know what you do? You hand off control to someone else. So I tried to explain that to him. He didn't get it. So one day I'm sitting in, sitting in a chair, my desk behind me. He's sitting in a chair right here, and about here is my, you know, my wall of fame, all my good things that I've done in the world. And so I'm sitting here, and I'm trying to imagine, how do I communicate this? And I lunged out of the chair. Now, I was in the Navy, so I said things that aren't in the Bible, okay? I lunged out of the chair like that and just almost hit him. He sprang up to hit me like that, and I just, I'm back here, and I just doubled over laughing. I said, that was fun. I just made you do that. And I never forget to look in his eyes as he's like this fury exploding in anger as the truth settled in. It's all the further his punch got. So you see what I mean? I just made you do that. Anger is giving power away to someone else. And if I can make you angry, I have power. And what I said to him was, let's see if you can make me angry. Give it a shot. Try it. That's what Jesus is talking about. And when we approach justice from this, pers this perspective, it's no different than the world. I told you I was reading this book by Scott McKnight. He has this to say about how countercultural our concept of justice is from the world. There's no law in our legal system that demands love. But Christ does. There's no law that requires empathy or compassion, but Christ does. There's no law that demands grace, but Christ does. We could add several more. There's no law that demands forgiveness. That's not in here, but Christ does. He goes on. Because of what Christ demands of us, our sense of justice as Christians will be radically 
different from the world's understanding of justice. True justice seeks the best in the other person, not the worst, not punishment. We seek the best. Some of you are familiar with the story of the uh, women's gymnastics team and Dr. Nasser when he was uh, exposed for just doing atrocities against these girls over many, many years. Rachel Den Hollander, who's now an attorney, was the first gymnast to stand up and speak. And she spoke at his trial. And here's what she said. Now, I want you to think about this in light of how the world conceives of justice. She gets to confront him directly. So these are words to Dr. Nasser. You spoke of praying for forgiveness. But Larry, if you have read the very Bible that you're carrying, you know forgiveness does not come from doing good things. As if good deeds can erase what you have done. No. It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done in all of its utter depravity and horror without mitigation, without excuse, without acting as if good deeds can erase what you have seen in this courtroom today. Okay, pause. When you apologize to someone, are you actually apologizing or are you asking for acceptance? I'm sorry, but. When you add that word but, you're no longer apologizing. I'm sorry I was late for work, but. What you're really asking for is the other person to accept you. True confession is, I am sorry for doing wrong, period. She goes on. The Bible carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. We demand justice. Lock him up, throw the key away. She goes on, I pray that you experience this soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness for me, although I extend that to you as well. Aren't those gold words, golden words? So different than the way the world thinks. So different. You see, true justice is filled with love. It's filled with empathy. It's filled with sorrow. It's filled with forgiveness. True justice is wanting the very best in another person, not vengeance. That's why God is so careful many times to say, vengeance is mine. Let me take that responsibility. Your job is to love your enemies to do good to those who hate you. Turn the right cheek if you have to. If they demand your cloak, give them another one. Give them a second one. The world can't fathom that, but we can. And this is what a good church looks like. A good church 
is a church that develops this culture of goodness. And you know where it starts? Is recognize injustice. James is filled with examples, if you read the book of James, of recognizing this injustice. But what does he say? Thank you, Alicia, for reading it. This is true and undefiled religion that you care for widows and orphans. Do you realize almost every prophet, almost every prophet put that language in there. God is so upset because you are abusing the people who can't take care of themselves. You're not standing up for them. You're not doing what's right. You're not doing what justice is. The famous verse in Micah, what does God require of you, O human? To do good, to live justly, to have a humble heart. You know what's going on with Micah? He's speaking to the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had just been destroyed by the Assyrians. And you know what? The refugees are coming south. And what are they saying? We don't want you here. You're not like us. And so God sends Micah to rebuke them for that. Because God is the one who takes responsibility for creating a crushing environment in another nation so that they could come find life. God is the one who takes responsibility for that. Once we see injustice, we need to talk about it honestly and move forward with it. In other words, we need to be courageous and trust God and care for those who can't care for themselves. That's what true justice is. It's not about vengeance. No, we don't want to throw the book at anybody unless it's the Bible. We really don't. I've read Rachel Den Hollander's account several times and I follow her on Twitter. She's an attorney now working with young people who can't help themselves, who have very, experienced various forms of abuse. I'm really proud of her. But her statement in the courtroom captures me every time I read it. I've read it several times. God, am I like that? Am I like that? The moment I started demanding justice out of anger, I just became like the world. I don't want to be that way. And I hope you don't either. Father, thank you. Thank you for all, all the things that uh, invert the world's thinking. Truly, your ways are so much higher than ours. And yet, the more I learn about them, and the more I the more I work hard to bring your, your heart, your desires into my life, the more delightful it feels. And Father, I pray that you would make us a church continue. We're already there, Lord, but we're working harder at it. Help us to church, to be a church that always recognizes injustice, stands up for the marginalized, and seeks repentance, loving repentance, from the guilty. Help us to do that. But above all, to be honest. In your son's name, Jesus, our high priest, 
Who did that for us? He stood up for us when we couldn't stand up for ourselves. In his name we pray. Amen. So if you decide to give, the Lord puts it on your heart.